Church, we have a special privilege this morning. We are going to hear a sermon from Garth. And for those of you who, I, I believe everybody knows who Garth is, right? Y'all know who Garth is? He's been around for a long time. Garth has been our youth pastor now for two years. And even before that, he served faithfully alongside of me uh, as I was the youth pastor from 2014 until 2021. And so Garth, I believe, came here to First Baptist Fairdale in 2015 with his wife, Emily. Uh, they have now two sons, Liam and Layton, uh, and we, Sam and I, are pleased to call them dear friends. Garth is an awesome pastor uh, to these kids. He, he loves them. He preaches the, the gospel to them week in and week out, uh, and it is a huge blessing to our church to be able to hear him preach this morning. Uh, if you all have been to a Sunday evening service, you've heard Garth preach before, uh, and he does a fantastic job, uh, and so welcome him as he comes up. Well, thank you all. If I'm being honest, I'm really glad I just turned the mic on correctly to start. Uh <clears throat> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really it's a really big privilege to be able to preach to you all on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, we've we love our church. We've been here for so long, and it's a it's a really unique and surreal, I think, opportunity to be here with you all this morning, and, and the opportunity to teach, especially on a morning where we're um, thinking about and loving and caring for the high school seniors that we have. And so, um, thank you guys all for the opportunity. Uh, if you will <clears throat> turn your Bibles to First John. Uh, we started this sermon series just last week, and we are going to continue on. And I don't, I don't know that uh, the elders maybe had graduation and su- graduation Sunday in mind when they decided to uh, start First John and then specifically assign this text to me. Uh, but uh, you know, God has a way of orchestrating those things, and what you'll find. With this text, especially in First John uh, chapter two, <clears throat> is this is a pretty applicable passage for for high school graduates, college graduates, people who are who are now entering into this big stage of life and adulthood and being confronted with the realities and the difficulties that come in this life. Up until this point, right, they have had uh, loving parents and people who have cared for them, who have maybe uh, somewhat guided them through difficult things, who have guarded them maybe in some description from difficult things. But now they start to learn what it's like to work through and deal with those things on their own. And First John is so applicable to that context. So if you will, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3. If you will follow along with me, we will pray, and we will study this passage of God's Word together, starting in verse 3. And by this we know him, or that we, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. God, thank you for the book of 1 John, and and specifically uh, for this section. God, the word of God is powerful, and it changes us, it shapes us, it convicts us of sin, shows us our desperate need for Jesus, and conforms us more into his image. And God, may it do that very work in us this morning as we study it together. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So a little bit of context to 1 John. I told you this is a little bit of an appropriate uh, section of Scripture for, for graduates and, and being confronted with the realities of life. And the reason that's the case is because the context in which John has written this book. So what's happening is he's written this. More than likely, he is living in, in Ephesus. This is, this is kind of post-destruction of Jerusalem, and he is writing to churches that are experiencing something very real and very difficult. If you look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, you see where he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all, all are not of us. See, what had happened is these churches had experienced people leave the church. People abandon the real faith. And then also, on top of that, they're dealing with false teaching. If you look in verse 26 of the same chapter, in chapter 2, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Right? So there's there's a context. This letter is written in a very real situation to believers who are experiencing real things, real difficulty, real strife, their churches are going through something very hard. People, are, people have left, have abandoned, and then at the same time, they're dealing with this false teaching that is trying to infiltrate what they know to be true. And for our high school seniors... They're about to be confronted with a lot of things like this that are very difficult, teaching, teachings that are not the truth. They're going to have to be able to, to discern through those things and work through those things and fight against them. They're going to experience friends or people that they know who they thought maybe believed and trusted in Jesus, but then it seems like maybe they don't anymore. And for those of us who are older, we've experienced that in life. We know what that's like. We've seen people that we loved and cared about at one point, and now it's, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're going through, what, what's happened. This is a real context and a real situation that they find themselves in, and what they're looking for is assurance. How do we know that what we believe is real? 
how do I know that my faith is real? How can I be assured of that? And the believers that, that John is writing to, they're craving that, uh, that answer to that question. And that question isn't uncommon to us. We ask ourselves that all the time. Man, how, how can I know? How can I be assured of what I've been taught, of what I know I believe? And John answers that question here in verses 3 through 14. And he does it in a pretty well-structured way. What you're going to notice this morning, and we have, I have three points, just like what we're used to on Sunday morning. And he's going to give them two evidences of faith. And then he's going to give them the assurance of their faith. So, if you will follow with me in this first section of, of verse 3 through 6, and this is kind of point one, this is the first evidence of their faith, that they can be assured that their faith is real, and it is, the one who obeys him knows him. The one who obeys him knows him. Look at verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Now, the first question we have to ask ourselves is what does he mean by know him? We've actually covered this in youth fairly recently in Paul's letter to the Ephesians because he brings up a knowledge of God. And when we talk about what it means to know God, we kind of have to be a little bit more clear because this isn't just about knowing who Jesus is. Right? There are plenty of people here in Fairdale or Louisville that you could walk to on the street and say, hey, who is Jesus? And they would give you a lot of answers that are probably right. Oh, yeah, he's, he's that guy who, who died for, on the cross for, for sin. You could have real people who don't believe in Jesus give you that answer. And it would be right. They could tell you all kinds of things about Jesus because here's the difference. They know about him, but they don't know him. Right? They haven't experienced him. And a very real example of this is Judas knew Jesus. He met him. He talked with him. He followed and lived with him. But did he ever really know and experience Jesus? I think the Bible makes the answer to that question pretty clear. There is a real difference between knowing about someone or something and knowing experientially who, who they are. Lots of people know about him. There are fewer who, have, who know him and experience Jesus. And that's the kind of knowledge of Jesus that we're talking about here. <clears throat> But John makes it clear, right? The test of, of assurance of faith here is if you know him, then you're going to obey him, right? So if we obey him, we prove that we know him. It's kind of the reverse way to say that. If we obey him, we prove that we know him. And this is something that John has actually said before. So you can flip over there if you want to. If not, you can just listen to me. But this is Jesus in the Gospel of John speaking to his disciples and this is in chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Fast forward to the next chapter, in chapter 15 of, of John's gospel, and in verse 10, this is what he says. <clears throat> Actually, we'll start in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
right? This is not something new that John is saying. If you obey the commandments of Jesus, you prove that you know him. Those who understand and have experienced Jesus obey him. They obey him because they know him. This is a little bit of a fun story, but in 2019, Emily and I decided to, we made a decision that we were going to get a dog. I think sometimes, some days the jury is still out whether it's a good or bad decision, but we got a dog, and we, we love him, we've, we've worked with him and raised him, we took him to some training and all this stuff, and then... <clears throat> One of the things that happens when you're, when you're like us and you have to travel hours to go visit family or whatever else, you kind of have to have, find somebody to watch the dog, right? That's just what you do. And one of the things that we started to figure out through stories of the people who watched my dog was he started to act up and do things that he never did while we were home while we were away with people who were watching him. Getting into things that he's not supposed to, bugging them, doing all kinds of stuff, tearing things up, trying to eat stuff he's not supposed to. And I know for us, we were like, what is, what is his deal? <clears throat> why, does he, why does he do that? He doesn't do that when we're home. And one of the answers that we kind of figured out was, well, he knows us. He knows, he knows us. And so when we're home, he's obedient. And why is he obedient to us? Because he knows us. He doesn't know the people who are watching him while we're gone, right? There's a sense in which experiential knowledge produces obedience. If you know Jesus and you've experienced him, you're going to obey his commandments. And that's the point that John is making here. But on the flip side, he makes a very, a very distinct and opposite point. If we disobey, we prove that we don't know him. If the first thing is true, then so is the second thing. <clears throat> Look in verse, uh, in, verse, in verse four, right? Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If we disobey, we prove we don't know him. <clears throat> and here's why that's so important. If we disobey, it's saying that we, we prove that we don't know him. And if, but if we don't know him, there's, there's something that we're missing here. One of the books that, that I read with my son every night right now is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you don't have that or you've never read it and you've got kids, I highly encourage it. It's super great and super helpful. But one of the things that I notice as we read that, story, that, that Bible together in each and every story, there's often times, right, and, and as you know from reading the Bible, there are people who they turn to sin, right? They stop following God and they turn into sin and they start to follow something else, and one of the th things I love about that Bible is when that happens, the way it's worded is often something like this. <clears throat> they, they decided to stop following God. They decided to, to, to follow into sin because they didn't believe or understand that God loved them. Or they had convinced themselves that they could be happy without him. 
their disobedience proved that they didn't know him. And the biggest thing they didn't realize that, or didn't know about him was how much he loved them. They weren't convinced of that. That disobedience is a recognition that they don't know him. And because they don't know him, they have no idea how much he loves them. They've missed that. This disobedience proves they don't know him. <clears throat> we don't understand his love. The last thing I want you all to see, though, is this, this, this kind of comes full circle, right? We, if, if we know him, we obey him, and then we obey him because we know him. That's a little bit cyclical, right? But one of the things that I also want to make distinct in this is if we know him, we don't just obey him, we desire to obey him. It's not just that disobedience is merely produced, but rather the desire and the love to be obedient is also produced. You can fast forward in 1 John where he makes this point pretty clear in chapter five, verses two and three. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. That sounds a lot like what we just read. And his commandments are not burdensome. If we know God, not only is it producing obedience in us, but no, it's, it's producing also the desire and love for obedience. Those commandments, they're not burdensome. They're not a burden. We love to be obedient. God's producing that in us because we know him. <clears throat> for those of you all who know me, this, you know that this isn't my only job. I have a full-time job where, I, where I've worked for the last eight years, and I've worked for the same boss for the last eight years. And part of the reason I continue to work there is because I love the person that I work for. I've gotten to know him. He has been so great and gracious and kind to me. And one of the things that happens with that is he's my boss, so he still gives me instruction and commandments. And when he does that, I say, yeah, absolutely. But I'm not just doing it to obey the commandments. No, I'm doing it because... Sure, I would love to do that work for you. Why? Because I know him. Because I appreciate who he is and the kind of person he is to me. And for the believer, this is what happens. God has given us distinct commandments on how we ought to live, and we, want, we don't just do them. We want to do them. We have a desire to do them, and they're not burdensome. Why? Because we know God and how much he loves us. Obedience is produced by knowledge of God. And that knowledge of God produces faithful and loving obedience. We love to be obedient because we know him. That's what John is saying. It's the first test of your faith. If you want to know if your faith is real, look at how you're being obedient. Your obe obedience is produced from that faith and knowledge of God. That's the first test. Then he gives a second test. <clears throat> And this is found in, in verses 7 through 11. Behold, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we get this second test. 
And, and, and the, way that I, that, the way that I would phrase this to try to help us understand it is the one who loves abides in him. The one who loves abides in him. <clears throat> now, John makes some distinctions here. For the one point, he says that this is an old commandment. Well, what exactly does, does that mean? Well, <clears throat> in our call to worship this morning, we read John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, but I want you all to pay attention here to verse 34. This is Jesus giving a commandment, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, it was a new commandment when Jesus gave it to the disciples, but when John is proclaiming this to the churches, this isn't a new commandment. Jesus gave us this when he was here. For you who have come to believe and trust in Jesus, this is an old commandment. This isn't anything new. Jesus gave us this when he was here, that we ought to love one another. <clears throat> so he's, he's reminding them of what they heard in the very beginning when Jesus, that they ought to love one another. So that's the sense in which it's an old commandment. But then he also says that this is, a, this is a new commandment, right? He says that in verse eight. It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true and in him, or, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The sense in which this is a new commandment is that Jesus gave this commandment then. He died, was raised from the dead, and then he gave a new commandment, right? And loving one another and loving other people is a part of our mission to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard it. We're not just proclaiming some theological truths about who Jesus is and what he's done, although we are doing that. No, we're doing that, and we're also displaying a love for the people who are going to hear it. It is a new commandment, part of the mission that you and I have received to go forth and love other people and proclaim the truth of the gospel. So there's an old sense of this commandment that Jesus gave it, and then there's this new commandment in that this is part of our mission. <clears throat> but there's a test here, right? And we'll start with the unfortunate news of this test, right? The one who hates his brother is in the darkness, right? Or another way to say this, hate is an evidence that we're not in the light, but rather it's an evidence that we're blind to it, <clears throat> right? This is how he phrases that in, in verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one who despises or doesn't love other people proves that he is blind to the light. And a better way to maybe put this is, you must not understand the love of God if you don't love other people. Because if you're not loving other people, or the flip side of that, hating, then you prove that you don't understand the love of God because God loved you even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He loved you and died for you. And not displaying that love would prove that you don't understand that, that, that you're blinded to it. But loving others confirms that we are abiding in him. When you do love, regardless of the conditions, regardless of who they are or what they've done, you display the evidence that you are abiding in God. Why? Because you understand what God has done for you. That in your sin and all the things that are wrong with you, God chose to love you. And when you do that for other people, you prove that you are abiding in him and he in you. 
I have a really, really good dad. And one of the ways that I know that is because my dad knows everything about me. He knows all the good things I've done. He knows all the bad things I've done. And even when, as a, as a dad to a son, he knew about all the things that were wrong with me, he chose to love me and in grace correct me. And the way in which he approached that, I'll never forget. Why? Because he showed that he loved me so much. And one of the things that I love about that is it showed that he was abiding in Jesus, even when he knew the wrong things about me. That's, that's living in the light. Love for other people, love for one another proves that you are abiding in Christ. You understand something about him. The one who loves, lives in him. <clears throat> now, those are those two tests, right? If you're obedient to his commandments, then you prove you know him. If you're loving other people, then you prove that you're living in the light, right? Those are the two tests or evidences that John is giving to these churches here when they're trying to look for assurance of faith. And while that's really helpful, it can very, very easily slip into feeling a little bit defeated because I don't know about you all, but when I read that and I think, man, am I, am I obedient to his commandments? Do I love other people well? The first thing that pops into my mind is, man, I try, but I, I could probably be better. I don't know that I really measure up to that test very well. At least at a lot of points in my life, I don't. And if I don't do those things perfectly, then do I measure up? We're confronted with that reality, and I think the, the, the churches who were reading this letter for the first time as they're reading through that, thinking, yeah, I, I really do try to obey his commandments. I really do try to love other people, but I definitely don't do it perfectly. It can be very defeating to come to that reality. And if I'm not perfectly obedient, do I really know him? If I'm not loving other people well all the time, am I really living in the light? That's where our minds go. Because none of us perfectly obey or love perfectly, but John understands this, and right after he gives them two different things that they can look at to try to give evidence to their faith and assure them of their faith, he goes ahead and cuts that thought process off in verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> and he does that by reminding them of who Jesus is. Look in, look in verse 12 through 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I'll pause right there. <clears throat> when they're confronted with the moment of, man, I don't know that I measure up, he immediately reminds them of the root and the truth about their faith. His solution to this problem is to remind them of what they have believed. If you, if you look at the start of this chapter, he said, my little children, I'm writing to you to these things so that you may not sin. But then he says this, but if anyone does sin, right? When you don't measure up, <clears throat> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. John is thinking through this. Yeah, these are tests and evidences of your faith, but don't mistake them for your actual faith. 
right? When we look at these tests and our obedience and our love for other people, those are fruits of our faith. They are not the root. You want to look at that fruit because it's an evidence of your faith, but never, never mistake it as the root of your faith. The root of your faith is Jesus and who he is and what he has done for you, which is why right after saying that, that if you're not living in the light, you're blind to the darkness, in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you to remind you that your sins are forgiven. When you don't measure up, you have to remind yourself, this is why Jesus died that your sins would be forgiven. You have a propitiation for your sin. They needed to be reminded of that. John could have just as easily said, well, if you're reading this commandment that you need to be obedient, well, maybe you should just try to be more obedient. Or, oh, you don't feel like you're loving other people really well, well, you probably need to figure that out and try to love other people better. He get, I guess he could have said that, but that would have been pointing them to fruit to try to fix their problem and not the root to try to fix their problem. The fruit is important because it gives evidence of the faith. But when your fruit doesn't measure up, you don't need to just try to produce more fruit. No, you need to go to the root. You need to be reminded of the source of your faith in order to produce more and better fruit. <clears throat> Saying to just obey better or love better you could say that all you want, but it's not exactly going to fix anything. What you need to be reminded of is Jesus, who, when you don't measure up, died for your sin. Remember that your sins are forgiven. That's what John is saying. Remember that you do know him who is from the beginning. You do know Jesus. And remember that the evil one has been overcome. And so we get to this point in, in verses 12 through 14, after these two tests, and John is reminding them, hey, the one who believes endures. The one who believes is going to endure. Why? Because they have a root. And it's not the fruit. It's Jesus the root. Right? We strive for obedience because Jesus was perfectly obedient for us. We try to love others because Jesus have, has loved us so much that in the depths of our sin, he died for us to rescue us from that sin. That's what produces this fruit. We have to remember that. And this is what I love about verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. When they're confronted with this, John is reminding them hey, when you feel like you don't measure up, because you don't, this is fruit of your faith, but when those times when you fail, you need to be reminded of the root of your faith and be reminded that, yes, you are fighting a battle, right? You are fighting to be obedient to the commandments of Jesus because it proves you know him. You're fighting to love other people well because it proves you're living in the light, but when you don't measure up, you need to be reminded that you're fighting for a purpose and you're fighting a battle that's already been won. Right? You are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. God has changed you. And so when you fail, you need to be reminded that you're fighting a battle that's already won. 
And for, for our graduates in the room, you're about to start facing the realities of life, the difficulties that come. There's gonna be all kinds of people who want you to believe or understand or think certain things. You're gonna be confronted with just how difficult and hard this life can be. It's also wonderful, but, but how difficult and hard it can be. And you need to be reminded there are gonna be times where you don't measure up. But you need to, you need to know that you're fighting a battle that's already been won, which means you can keep on going, right? The soldier or the athlete who is facing defeat starts to give up. But the one that knows game's already over, game's already won, battle's already been won, that gives you the courage and the strength to carry on. The battle's already been won, right? Sin has been forgiven. Believers know Jesus. God's word is abiding in us, and we need to be reminded the battle's already been won. This is, a, this is an excerpt from a, from a song by a group called Chain and Chain that I think is really helpful as we think about these things and the, trying to identify the evidences of our faith, and when we don't measure up, this is what they say. And I'm fighting a battle you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done, and I'm fighting a battle you've already won. <clears throat> John is reminding them when they need an affirmation of their faith, there is a way to test faith. It is to look for fruit, obedience, and love for others. But don't forget that fruit comes from the root. Jesus died for your sin. And believing and trusting in that is going to produce that. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for, for Sunday mornings. God, thank you for First John. And thank you for reminding us. God, there are, there are things that give real evidence to our faith, and they are critical and they are important. And we want to produce fruit. Maybe, maybe, maybe walk like Jesus. But we're doing that because he has been faithful. And we're fighting a battle that's already been won. May that stir us to more fruit. We love you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.